Upon gazing at the western skies, I see the sun plummet into the landscape. My dreams beckon me onward. Our plans are to move west, create a new life, create a new dream. This very well could have been a excerpt of a personal journal dating between the years of 1763 and 1775. Many families who migrated to Piedmont sections and central sections of North Carolina stayed briefly prior to moving westward to areas known as Eastern Tennessee, Eastern Kentucky, um, Western Virginia, Northern sections of Georgia, and beyond. The interesting thing is these majority of these families had just arrived to this location, but yet they felt the importance and great need to move west. A few steps that we can look into in further research beginning with what exactly were the opportunities that lie across the Appalachian Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains? What enticed them to move west? Another thing could be examining the activity that they were actually witnessing. What was going on around them locally? Another thing to take in consideration would be the actual personal morals and their beliefs. Was this something that pertained to them moving west? And another thing to look at would be their actual social status. You know, social status was so important during the 18th century. It stood for much more than what it actually does in present day. Hi, this is your friend Carol, and I want to first of all welcome each and every one of you to the podcast of Piedmont Trails. This is a brand new year. I want to welcome 2021. And I am very excited to continue these shows with a brand new season. Today is episode number 19, and it is entitled, The Shift of Change, North Carolina Migration to Western Lands, 1765 to 1775. Today we're going to be examining the years leading up to the American Revolutionary War and how some of these events could have very well played into the movement of moving west for for majority of these families. What were the experiences that our ancestors were witnessing that caused many to leave a British authority and venture into unknown territories with very little protection, knowing that they could very well deal with hostile grievances contributed by the local tribes of the Native Americans. In other words, there were great risk involved, but yet they still picked up their belongings and they moved. Population proves this. Population numbers in the documents and tax records and many other materials prove that this westward movement did occur. 
A very well-known quote from Daniel Boone states that heaven must be a Kentucky kind of place. (laughs) And it makes us all wonder and kind of speculate uh, how many settlers that lived along the Yakin River during Daniel Boone's era during the decade of 1760, how many actually heard those words? How many actually felt them? Enough to pick up their belongings and move and migrate elsewhere. I think a good theme to set for today's show would be a, um, a quote by Frances E. Willard, who was a, a female poet who was born, I think, uh, during the 19th century. But her words speak volumes, I think, to the personal movement of these families during this time period. And her quote is this, The world is wide, and I will not waste my life in friction when it could be turned into momentum. And we'll see, and that could very well be today's theme for for this episode. Nevertheless, thank you all so much for joining me. I want to welcome each and every one of you, and we will get started with today's show right after this break. Welcome 2021! Piedmont Trails welcomes a brand new year and for three years we have been sharing genealogy and history with all of you. Visit PiedmontTrails.com to stay up to date with all the latest events and every articles and everything that we have going on. And you can also join the journey with us by subscribing to the website. It's free to do so. Our ancestors left an amazing trail to follow. Enjoy your journey today to the past. Okay, on with the show. I first want to address the roads that would have been available during this particular time period. Uh, I have many to ask me, well, there there were no roads that led west to these areas, Uh, but yes, there were. As you may or may not know, Daniel Boone was a trailblazer. That is what he did. And um, a very primary road was developed by Boone and his comrades um, through Wilkes County, uh, known as Wilkes County today, heading into Watauga County and Ash County of North Carolina that eventually led through Tennessee and onward into Kentucky. Um, There were several roads and routes. There is also a more southern route that went crossed over the Catawba River um, headed towards and joined headed towards western North Carolina and joined in with the Kiowee Trail that ran up through South Carolina was um, very well known trail wide enough very wide enough for to accommodate a wagon in in many areas and the more travelers that these early roads had then the more naturally widened they would be now make no mistake about it the maintenance of these roads were not kept up like they should have been also due to weather you had rains and snows that um, played a very significant part in this but for the most part it it seems that many of these families at first traveled by foot or by horse 
um, some would have various small carts but not necessarily a huge wagon that would come years later so another road also extended from the Shenandoah Valley um, which is known primarily as the Wilderness Trail in that area extended from the Great Wagon Road to the Shenandoah Valley and extended westward it also led to Watauga River the Nolichucky River and into the Watauga settlement of uh, Tennessee so there are these are just a few of the early roads that would have been present during this time period Daniel Boone's route through the Yakin River through Wilkes County primarily travels basically the same in many locations as Highway 421 North does today so for many of you that may not be aware of this there back in the early 1960s a Daniel Boone wagon train would take place uh, for several summers and they would actually depart from an area in Wilkes County and travel some of the same roads the same locations as the Daniel Boone road took place through that Watauga County and Ash County areas eventually the wagon train would end up in the town of Boone and they would have a huge parade and and there are some old uh, photos that you can find of this actual wagon train uh, portrayal that took place in the early 60s I think the last one I can't remember the date so I won't won't share that with you but um, I want to say 1963 but don't quote me on that but anyway you can go to uh, digital Watagua um, you can find their website online I think they are you can also find them on Facebook I think as well and they do uh, have photos of this wagon train so it's amazing how history is brought forward to the present day so that you know many of these families who partook in in these um, um, wagon trains were they actually camped out overnight they they tried to uh, cook their food over an open fire just as the early families did um, as they first traveled through that the area but getting back to the roads there were many roads that were available I just mentioned the three main ones there were also various trails that had already been established by the Cherokee tribe and the Catawba tribes who often traveled back and forth through these areas so there were many trails available now I want to set the stage up for you to give you a visual intake of the years leading up to we're going to say 1763 to 1765 during the main migration there were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of families that were settling in the Piedmont area and central area of North Carolina mainly the Piedmont area and these families were established they were settled they were they were conducting their business they were doing they were conducting their farms uh, settling their lands and then we had attacks by the Cherokee tribe of Western North Carolina in Eastern Tennessee and portions of South Carolina and, Ten and Georgia and these attacks led to a great many of these families leaving the area and traveling back north or south for a brief time now some of these families did end up settling 
for longer than a brief time in those areas but I'm finding for the most part that many of these families returned back to the area so you're looking at a time frame between 1758 and 1761 and then you're, you'll find look if you're missing your ancestor for those years look back into Virginia or further north or look into South Carolina central South Carolina and then come back to North Carolina and see if you can find documents or materials where they may have left for a brief time during the Cherokee uprisings and then came back but that sets the stage up for what was actually going on just prior to 1763. The main thing in understanding before we really get started in this is to understand this and that is many of these families all had different backgrounds and were from different colonies. You know many historians all through the years will say well majority of the people who participated in the Great Migration were departing from Pennsylvania. Well, that's not necessarily the case. A great many came from Maryland who were settled there for many years and in some cases for generations. Many departed from New Jersey and you also have Delaware. And although you won't find this everywhere, many of them migrated from Rhode Island. Many of them left from Broad Bay, Maine. A great many of them did. So, and also many of them traveled from south as well. So you have different backgrounds. That's the main objective that I wanted to get across here. You have different backgrounds with different cultures, different personal morals, and different beliefs. All traveling pretty much in the same direction and settling pretty much in the same area. So now you're, I want to share, uh, that's what I was trying to get across is I wanted to share an exact picture of what exactly is going on. You have the families who left for a short brief of time due to the Cherokee uprisings. Now they came back and you need to take in consideration of all of the families in the area who have arrived with different cultures, different beliefs, different uh, personal morals, and they're all living among themselves. If you've listened to uh, any of my previous podcasts, you will find me forever saying that these families did not travel alone. They traveled together. They traveled in groups. And when you study and research these early settlements in the Piedmont area of North Carolina, you'll find these same groups, these small groups, settling together. And this will speak volumes in your research. If you take this this small group and research them, and if you're able to find some member of this group in another area, then you can have access to a vast amount of records and, and documents that will guide you along your journey. But get getting back to our show, <laughs> you, you'll find me kind of, sometimes I kind of stray the path. I've got to stay straight on the trail here. <laughs> okay. In 1760, 
61. Yes. This was on my next thing that I really wanted to get across with you, with everyone today. As early as the year of 1761, grave conditions are very obvious and they become public knowledge in in holding meetings that are addressing grievances that are being placed on the the families that are living in the Piedmont area and, uh, and central areas of North Carolina. And what are these grievances? A prime example is a meeting of August the 20th, uh, dated 1761, that was held um, in the Deep River area of North Carolina. And this meeting was to examine how the taxes were distributed and how the injustice of the tax was distributed among the families. An additional meeting was held at Maddox Mill. Uh, I'll spell that for you. It's M-A-D-D-O-X, Maddox Mill. That is located on Eno River. It's just a few miles from outside of uh, Hillsboro, North Carolina. And that particular meeting was dated October the 10th. And it was a concerning the public tax. These families were all of a sudden being overwhelmed with a tax that they felt was unfair. And they were placing their grievances publicly in a meeting atmosphere to voice their opinions of this. And they, they felt an injustice. Let me give you an example. Um, okay, a, a, a prime example would be a cattle, a tax on cattle, on a single ox. A single ox was, re, um, everyone was required to pay the same. It didn't matter how many acreage you owned. If you owned, um, say for instance, a hundred acres and you owned one single ox, your, your tax would have been the same as if an owner of 10,000 acres and he owned one ox and they felt this was an injustice. This was as early as 1761. Now if you really dig into the local records and for the most part these can be found also in the North Carolina State Archives too as well you will discover the results of these meetings and these meetings are being held and they're growing in popularity so from 1761 you have these few meetings and then by the following year they are becoming more numerous and for the most part the majority result in final results of these meetings were nothing um, there would be an open court uh, open hearing where public notices were read aloud in the public but most of the time the British officers who were in charge of this particular area were not in attendance to these hearings um, I'm finding I have found this all throughout the years of research many times the the officers were not in attendance at all they never even bothered to show up for the meeting it seems that during these particular years that it was uh, ignored 
and it may have been that if we ignore this then you know maybe these families will just settle down and just pay their tax and 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 just you know calm down and let it go so to speak um but i encourage each and every one of you if you have ancestors who are living in this particular area the piedmont areas of north carolina i urge you to research on a local level for these early meetings and you can see who who was actually in attendance you can see their first and last names um you can also you may discover where they actually read a public notice or offered a grievance in writing um, describing some of the details of what they were actually witnessing at that time so yes and, and for the most part of all of my research all through the years the meetings resulted in little to no action at all for the early settlers and the tax now we're leading up to the actual Stamp Act of 1765. This also affected the families living in North Carolina as well. You have to take in consideration of all of the families that are moving in. They are now setting up their businesses. You have all types of trades that are becoming established. Um, a great many settlements have grown during the past uh, decade or decade and a half and now you are having families that own substantial amount of lands and this greatly contributes to their colonial status in the local area they are now highly respected um, they can now vote um, they are esteemed and respected greatly so when it comes to the Stamp Act, you also have local papers that are being published. Um, Hillsborough Gazette quickly comes to my mind. And now you are finding that some of these publishers are being, um, I don't want to use the, that word, let me think of another word here, <laughs> that are being approached with the Stamp Act to bring everybody up to date the reason why all of a sudden these new taxes are appearing in North Carolina whereas before they were not in this particular area or they were not carried out in this particular area is because of the ending result of the French and Indian War and British they have to pay for the economic status that it has caused on their economy and to pay for the war effort and this was a way of doing that and um, the families felt that they were great injustice by it and they then as the more and more they began to speak out they were beginning to feel the hostility that they were being met with or the ignoring the situation and for me for a lot of these families in all of my research that only heightened the um, atmosphere especially through the Piedmont area of North Carolina if you've ever researched the onset of the American Revolutionary War and you've ever heard of the uh, term the hornet's nest and it refers to the Mecklenburg County area um, but mainly it, it really refers to the Piedmont area of North Carolina and that was an 
association with all of the patriots who refused to stand by and not let their voices be heard. So with the culture background of these families and they're already their settlement of decades of a decade or a decade and a half um, raising their family their children and possibly even burying uh, loved ones who have passed on maybe you know after their settlement here it, it brings us to a great climax of possibilities of why these families moved elsewhere and one of the possibilities is maybe to escape some of the injustices that they felt that were being pushed upon them and if they traveled westward then maybe they would have more of a fair chance of opportunities now we can move forward from at this point and you know go as far as talk about the regulators of North Carolina and even move forward from that into the Battle of Alamance which occurred in 1771 but my main objective with the show today was to set up the setting and, and hopefully share the visualization of what our ancestors were experiencing during those years. In other words, hostilities grew and many were just, many of these families were struggling. They were, they were really struggling to just make ends meet, so to speak and majority of the families that were living in the Piedmont area they were not vast land owners and you can actually go through your research and, and determine how many acres if, if you know of land that your particular ancestor actually owned how many taxes how much taxes they actually paid and you can see what they what their property was and many of these families they suffered greatly during these years it was hard to make ends meet and so opportunities were not looking as glorious so to speak um, from decade before and they began looking elsewhere in the meantime you have entrepreneurs I like to call Daniel Boone entrepreneur because I think he was a I think that he personally had a great business sense about him naturally and he was a self-taught uh, entrepreneur so that makes him even greater in my personal book but he is all constantly looking for new opportunities and he is sharing this information and I think that a lot of the early families are, are looking for for someone who can give them some good news and and possibly moving elsewhere so I think this greatly contributed I urge everyone to look into the history of the regulators and to look into the history of the Battle of Alamance and look at all of the participants of this event and it could very well be that your family ancestor participated in this and later moved west with the westward movement during this time frame but there were other taxes that also played a significant role during this time and I urge each and every one of you to look into all of those possibilities as far as the taxes and the local laws 
and how they were carried out. I don't have enough time in today's show to give you to go into more detail on this, but once you start this particular journey, um, I promise you, you will find results and they will be amazing to discover. And many authors through the years have actually published these in, in books and I urge you to look for those sources on a local level. Um, I, I can name a couple of them here and maybe I'll put them in the podcast notes. I'll put them in the podcast show notes at the end of the show for you guys to to look at those books. But I urge you to research into that further because I think this greatly participated in the reasons of why many families left. Another great advantage point that I wanted to share with you all is this, that many of these families held highly skilled craftsmen and they carved settlements out of the wilderness. Many of these early settlements were just simply crossroads, um, just two roads leading to the settlement, or smaller trails or smaller routes, things of that nature. They were highly skilled in their professions, and they realized once they were settled that they could easily pick up the pieces and move to a new wilderness and do it again. In other words, they held the confidence inside them that they were able to accomplish this again. For many families, this was the setting stone that put the um, the motion in the right in the westward direction, and I think it was a great deciding point for many of them. Many church congregations would hold uh, meetings within the church buildings itself and voice this openly and encourage it. And you can find this also reiterated in a lot of um, early church histories of North Carolina. And you can find yourself seeing a vast amount of of half of uh, congregations or even whole congregations moving during this time period. It seems that many of the early settlers could also have see have an uh, hindsight into the near future, and I think that majority of these families all realized what was going to be taking place very soon, and if they had the opportunity to move their families in a more safer environment that they felt uh, was much more safer than I think that it was at that time it was more important to do that regardless of the risk that may lay ahead of them with the westward movement the risk seemed less likely um, versus the risk that were there or surrounding them and I hope that makes sense to everyone but I, I wanted to make sure to get into the skilled craftsmen of these individuals because they were successful in establishing many of these early settlements in small towns and they knew right away they had the confidence in picking up the pieces of what they had and traveling westward and setting settling new lands again I hope today's show has given you some enlightenment about the experiences our ancestors felt during this time period 
and maybe offer some opportunities for you to research further and discover reasons why your ancestors may have been involved with the westward movement during this time between the years of 1763, 65 through 1775. If you have discovered uh, your family moving and being involved with this movement, I would love to hear from you. You can contact me through PiedmontTrails.com. Just simply click on the contact page and send me a message. Um, let me know what you have found. Also, you can leave a voicemail here at the end of the podcast as well. I'd love to hear from you either way. There are various um, types of books and uh, materials that can offer you um, or can place you in a good direction or point you in the right direction in research in this particular time period. Seek out the tax records. Seek out the local news of the day and um, seek out land records and determine the exact proximity of your ancestor in North Carolina prior to them moving west. Early settlements were established in Kentucky as early as 17, between 1745 and 1750. There were various fort stations settled up in Kentucky. There were known settlers in Tennessee during the same time period, if not even earlier. So many of these families were aware that other families were already living in these areas. So that could have also encouraged them to move west. Also, I'd like to note on this end of the show that some of the families who decided to participate with this westward movement, also some of them came and returned back to North Carolina. And I think that I needed to stress that because many of my personal family members embarked on the adventure of moving west and then decided to come back. Years later, they moved west, but they did remain in North Carolina for several decades after that. I also wanted to put it out there for many of you who are researching your family that the North Carolina and South Carolina boundary lines were still being disputed. And also look into your county boundaries. Some of your county boundary lines were also being disputed at the time as well. Or many of the counties were being established too. So pay particular attention to when these county lines were came into play and where that fit into your ancestors' role during that time. Okay. I am going to end this show today. I want to, again, welcome each and every one of you. If you have questions, uh, comments, or suggestions, please leave them here as a voicemail or contact me through PiedmontTrails.com. We have several um, events and articles coming up in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be pretty busy, um, especially during the next two weeks. And so be sure to visit PiedmontTrails.com and catch up on the latest news and events. We are also bringing back the live chat events. We had um, originally um, take, removed them for a brief period of time and we are going to be bringing them back. However, they're not going to be weekly um, due to the schedule that I have in front of me uh, and things I've got going on in the near future, but they will be coming back on a monthly basis. And 
thank you all again for joining me. I wish you well on your journey to the past, and may God bless each and every one of you. Thank you.